Good morning. It is so good to see you. I am thankful that you're here and with us today. Um, If you've been with us, you know that this past week we are walking through a new study um, through the book of Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2 today. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a very simple question. At any moment in your life, and maybe it's happened recently, maybe it's happened in years past, or maybe you can just begin to sense what the Spirit of God is doing and and something new is coming. Have you ever, ever had a moment where in your life you found yourself simply waiting on the Lord? You could sense for whatever reason that the Lord was beginning to draw you to a new thing. You could sense that the Lord was beginning to stir in your soul. And it was one of those moments, if you know what I'm talking about, where maybe, maybe you didn't know how to exactly share that with your family or how to exactly share that with your spouse or how to share that with your friends or even the people who were praying for you. You just knew that God was beginning to stir in your soul and you didn't know just yet what it was or what to do with it. Have you ever found yourself in that moment? where you were simply waiting for the Lord. You know, I can think personally, um, recently I walked through that very season, uh, both my wife and my family and everyone else. You see, God had blessed us richly with the ministry that we were a part of prior to coming down here. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that ministry, we began to sense that God was beginning to draw our time to a close. And we knew that God had some sort of new ministry ahead of us. Now, at the time, we had no idea that we would be living in Brandon, Florida, in perfect weather and being the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, which I've got to go ahead and tell you, I've seen all your social media posts making fun of your friends up north and all the snow that they get. Shame on you for making fun of them. Uh, But secondly, amen and praise God because I've been doing the same thing and it's been wonderful. It's been great. But we had no idea as a family that we would find ourselves drawn to this church and how God would begin to knit the hearts together. And so I don't know how it is with you, but when you find yourself waiting on the Lord, you wait with excitement. You wait with anticipation. There's not really a a whole lot of fear there. You're just kind of almost like you're a new puppy. If you've ever had a dog before and you had them as a puppy and you put a tennis ball in front of them for the first time and all of a sudden they start wagging their tail and panting at the ball, it's almost like they're saying to you, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. That's how I felt in this moment of ministry. I knew God was beginning to call us to something new. And I was saying to God, God, now, now, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? Are we moving now? Are we going now? What are we doing? Is it now? But God told us to wait. Something new was coming. A new purpose, a new vision, a new will, a new design, a new plan that was a part of his plan for us from the beginning. Something new was coming. And so we had to simply wait. Now, I'm sure we've all had those moments where we see what is needed. We see uh, God begin to reveal to us a plan or solutions or steps, if you will. And then we find ourselves in a season of waiting. We find ourselves waiting for the Lord to give us the green light and to say, okay, now go. You see, this is where we find Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah in chapter 1, we learn of Nehemiah that he is clearly in exile, but we also learn of him that he is a student of Scripture. We also understand that Nehemiah is a faithful prayer warrior. In Nehemiah in chapter, uh, chapter 1, we see that he has a passion for God's Word. He has a passion for God's kingdom, and he has a passion for God's people. 
And so after hearing of the destruction of Jerusalem and how the walls and the gates have been destroyed, he begins to weep and mourn and fast, but then he begins to pray. But along with that prayer, he begins to plan for maybe what it is that God is calling him to do. And so he finds himself waiting and ready to go into action when the opportunity arises. And so this is where we find Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if not, they're in the pew in front of you. I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. And if you would, and you're able, if you would, go ahead and stand now in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Nehemiah's words according to Nehemiah chapter 2. He says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should, I, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, The queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one that what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the uh, the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
And then Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you were doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And again, Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have now to worship you through the study of your word. Father, I pray that through this time together that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears to your truth. And God, through your word, may you be lifted up and glorified today. Father, use your word to strengthen us, to give us clarity of vision and understanding. And Father, by our own actions and words, may it be about you and your praise. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, we already see Nehemiah is clearly prepared and has planned for what is about to happen next. And so what we're going to take a look at today, um, just like we did last week, we saw that Nehemiah had come to a time where it was time to pray. Well, this week we pick up the rest of the story where Nehemiah has come to a point where it is now time to act. So we're going to go ahead and jump into this because we got a lot of ground to cover today. And what we're going to learn from Nehemiah is this. When it comes to taking action, which as all believers, there is going to come a time in our life, whether it's in our workplace or in our church or wherever it is God has called us to serve, there is going to come a time where we are called to take action. So through Nehemiah, from Nehemiah, we learn when it comes to taking action, first We need to prepare. You see, as believers, we need to prepare. Look with me again in verse 1. We learn from Nehemiah that it's in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him. Nehemiah says he took up the wine, gave it to the king, uh, and he had been sad in the presence of the king. Verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Nehemiah acknowledges that he was very much afraid. And he says in verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should, I not, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to Nehemiah, what are you requesting? So Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven and he said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And so then we see the king granted his request. Um, How long will you be gone? The king asks of him, and when will you return? And so it says that it pleased the king to send Nehemiah away after he had given a specific time. And then in verse 7, I had said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted to Nehemiah everything that he had asked, for the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah. You see, we see Nehemiah preparing for what is to come. We see and learn from Nehemiah that he is making requests to the king. Now we already know that Nehemiah is in a place of great authority and he is in a place of high position. You see, he was the 
cupbearer to the king. And we learn this at the very end of chapter 1. And so now what we see Nehemiah doing is he's preparing for the ask. He's preparing for the request. In verse 1 and 2, we learn that we are currently now in the month of Nisan, which would have been March or April. Now, if you look at when Nehemiah heard of the destruction of Jerusalem to the moment we've arrived at here in Nehemiah chapter 2, you will see that roughly four to five months have already passed since he heard the news of the destruction of Jerusalem. But what we will quickly see is that Nehemiah hasn't been simply sitting around. He hasn't been simply just crying and weeping and mourning and going, God, what are you going to do now? No, he begins to pray to God, but not only pray to God, he begins making his plans. And so we see that the king notices that Nehemiah is saddened, and therefore he asks Nehemiah what's happened. And Nehemiah's response is this. He says, and then I was very much afraid. Now, some scholars would argue that this shows a lack of faith in Nehemiah, who's supposedly a great leader. However, Nehemiah realized quickly that as the cupbearer before the king's table, with the presence of the queen, which would have meant others would have been present as well, he now commanded the full attention of the king. Nehemiah realized that his king, like other kings, were complete and absolute dictators. In other words, whatever Nehemiah was about to say, and however the king responded, whatever the king said would go, and there was no questioning it, and there was no accountability for it. Nehemiah could have shared with the king everything that happened in Jerusalem, and the king of Persia could have simply said, well, that's too bad. Since you seem too focused on that, it's just simply time for you to die. And that would have been the end of the discussion. And so naturally, there was fear there. But notice what Nehemiah immediately does in verse 3. He affirms his loyalty to the king. He says, may the king live forever. Now, this is Nehemiah assuring the king that his sadness has nothing to do with some sort of hidden plot against the king. You see, Nehemiah understood that not only was he under the authority of a complete dictator, he also understood that there was power in the position and there would be many who would try to overthrow that power. And so anytime the king would see fear and sadness and grief and frustration, even anger, he would begin to question who amongst his trusted leaders were about to turn against him. And so Nehemiah assures him that there is no plan. And then we see the king ask the true reason behind Nehemiah's sadness he then asks, what is it that Nehemiah desires? And so Nehemiah's response in verse 4 and 5 is this. He says that I prayed to the God of heaven. Now think about this for a moment. Nehemiah has the audience of the entire room. But more importantly than that, he has the audience and the attention of the king of Persia. Anything could have happened in that moment. He could have been thrown in prison. He could have immediately been beaten. He could have immediately been lost his job, lost his position, and killed. This was an intense moment for Nehemiah. But look at what Nehemiah does. It says that he prayed to his God. He prayed to the God of heaven. You see, in the midst of an intense situation, Nehemiah turned his thoughts towards God. 
Look at how reliant Nehemiah was when it came to his faithfulness to God. Something we've already seen played out in Nehemiah chapter 1. And so here's the question for us today is this. When we find ourselves in an intense moment, when we find ourselves in an intense situation where we have to make a decision or maybe we have to have a conversation that's very uncomfortable or maybe we receive news that we didn't want to receive, in that intense moment, where do we turn? Better yet, who do we turn to? Will we be like Nehemiah and turn to God and begin to pray? Or will we be like others and simply try to fix it ourselves knowing that we're only going to make it worse? You see, we are called to be like Nehemiah. Now, if you get into verse 6 through 8, you see Nehemiah speak. And he lays out his plan before the king. But notice something about Nehemiah's plan here as he's making his preparations. This is not some sort of spontaneous, spur-of-the-moment type of request. Nehemiah is not flying by the seat of his pants or simply shooting from the hip at this point. He's not simply just saying whatever word comes up that he has never thought about before. Rather, what Nehemiah is doing is he is telling the king of his plan to rebuild Jerusalem. In other words, we see that for the past four months, Nehemiah has simply not been sitting around waiting and hoping and desiring a miracle, praying that someone else would come along. Rather, we see Nehemiah praying and making a plan to go and make a difference. You see, Nehemiah gives the king the amount of time that the journey and the rebuild will take. Nehemiah knows what kind of authorization he will need in order to travel and travel safely. Nehemiah knows that he needs to travel with a guard with him in order to make sure he is protected because there are others out there who want to see him destroyed for what it is he's about to do. Nehemiah also knows exactly the type of authorization he's going to need in order to get the materials that are needed to rebuild the temple and the wall and the gates and the city and his own house. You see, Nehemiah knew what was about to happen. And so what we see in Nehemiah chapter 2 is he doesn't just simply sit, he prays, but then he plans. In other words, Nehemiah prepared. You see, as a church, as Southside Baptist Church, we can't simply sit. We can't simply sit and hope for better days. We can't simply sit and reminisce about what was. We can't simply sit and say, well, hopefully someone else will step up and do it. All these things are good and right, but what we should be doing is we need to find ourselves on our knees praying to God. But not only should we find ourselves on our knees praying to God, but we should also be the type of people who are also planning for what God wants us to do here in this place. You see, when we look around our own church, we should see the needs. And so we should stop and ask this question, how can I help? It's not enough to simply sit and hope for a better day. We have to rebuild within ourselves. Some people would say this, and this is generally the first response of most churches that I've ever seen. They'll see this. Well, let me do this. I see an issue here, and it is an issue, um, and I have a passion for this, and I want to see this happen in the church. So let me first go tell the pastor and the staff and then tell them to deal with it and then tell them to, to just do it. 
You know, I'm going to go ahead and admit something to you. If every person who ever brought me every great idea walked into my office and I immediately went out and did the great idea that God had given to them, I want to assure you that nothing would get accomplished. Okay? I want to assure you I would never go home. Pastor Ricky would never go home. You would pull up and you'd be like, why is there a tent in the yard? And then you would see me and Pastor Ricky emerge from the tent with long hair and long beards. And you'll be wondering, why do those guys never clean up? It's because we spend our entire time working and doing the passion and the vision that God clearly gave to other people. You see, it's good and right to tell your pastor, tell your staff what you're doing. We need to know. We need to know. If, if you're over here cleaning or working or you volunteered to serve in a ministry, let us know because, man, we want to pray for you. We want to lift you up and we want to make sure you have what you need in order to complete the task that God has given to you. Let us know. But at the same time, if God has given you a vision for something that needs to be done, pray about it, plan for it, prepare for it, talk to us about it, and then go and do the work and come together in seeking solutions. You see, if we want to see God do big things in our church, then how are we preparing for those moments? If we want to see God continue to bless our church and grow our church, then how are we preparing for the work that he's going to call us to? It's like the old farmer's tale that I grew up hearing uh, over and over and over from my dad's side of the family. It went something like this. If you're going to start praying for rain, you better start carrying an umbrella. You see, we've got to do our part. We can't just shoot a miracle prayer in the ceiling and hope for the best. We have to be like Nehemiah and pray and then prepare for what God will do. Are we praying? Are we preparing? In the midst of our prayer for Southside Baptist Church, are we preparing for the harvest and what God will do in our midst? So you see that when it comes to taking action, we need to prepare. But secondly, from Nehemiah, we learn this. We need to follow through. Now, when you read from verse 9 all the way down to verse 20, you will see that this was Nehemiah's plan of following through. In other words, if you've ever played sports or been a part of drama, you've probably heard this phrase before. This is the point where we as believers need to simply show up. We have to show up. This is the part where we take action. So you see, Nehemiah didn't just simply pray. He didn't just simply prepare, but he followed through with the plan that God had given him once God gave him the green light to move forward. There was no hesitation in Nehemiah. He knew what needed to be done. He prayed, he made the plan, and then he took the steps necessary in order to see the plan accomplished. And then you look at verse 9 and 10, and what you see is this. Nehemiah took with him an armed escort because he knew what was going to happen. Now, if you've read Ezra or you've been reading Ezra, you will notice that in Ezra chapter 8, verse 22, that Ezra believed that God would protect the people of Israel. And so when Ezra traveled to Jerusalem, he did not take an escort with him because he was ashamed to ask the king for an escort. You see, Nehemiah wasn't afraid to ask. Ezra was ashamed to ask, but they were both traveling to the same location. Now, some people would look at Nehemiah and say, well, this clearly, again, shows a lack of faith in Nehemiah. Many scholars have argued that Ezra had greater faith than Nehemiah, and that's just simply not true. 
You see, they both had the same goal. They wanted to see Jerusalem rebuilt. They wanted to see the temple rebuilt. They wanted to see the walls and the gates rebuilt. But ultimately, what they wanted to see was the people restored back to right relationship with God. And Ezra had his way of doing it and the plan that God called him to. And Nehemiah had his way of doing it and the plan that God called him to. You see, we see the same thing played out in the New Testament between Peter and Paul. Both had the same desire and goal. They wanted to see people come to a faith and understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ, but each of them had a different way of doing it. You see, the goal was the same. The plan was different. And it doesn't mean that either one had a worse plan than the other. In fact, when we read Romans chapter 14, verse 4, we read these words. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You see, as a church, it is not our place to judge others in their service and what God has called them to. As a church, it is not our place to compare ourselves to what is happening in our church versus the churches around us. In other words, we can't be the type of people who say, man, I love our church, but I wish we were doing what this church was doing over here. Or we can't be the type of people who say, man, I love our church. Thank God we are nothing like this church over here because here's the reality. God has prepared a specific path for Southside Baptist Church. God will cause Southside Baptist Church to either stand or to fall. It is God who lays the path before us and we as Southside Baptist Church need to be simply faithful to the plan that God has called us to. As believers we got to stop looking around. We got to stop comparing ourselves to others. We got to stop worrying about what others are doing and we need to focus on the task that God God has given us here. You see, I get so troubled as a pastor when I go to church conferences. And I know a lot of you have a misconception about church conferences. You think it's a bunch of pastors who get together in our suits and ties and we compare stories about how much more awesome our church is than the other church next door. And then we go play golf. I want to tell you that's not true because I am horrible at golf. And nobody has ever invited me to play golf. Now, that is not an invitation for you to invite me to play golf unless you need someone to carry your bags. I don't mind doing that. Or if you need a golf cart driver. I'm actually really good at that. Okay? But that's not what we do. But here's what concerns me as a pastor. It concerns me when I walk into a conference and the only people I'm hearing from are the pastors of massive mega churches where they have 10,000 in attendance. And it's not that what they've done is right. It's not that what they've done is wrong. It's, rather, it's, it's what they've done is actually good and right and of God. But that is God's plan for their specific church. And let me go ahead and tell you, if you haven't figured this out, no matter what church you go to, no two churches look the same. They all have a specific plan. They all have a specific purpose. And they are all called to be faithful with the task that God has given them. Southside Baptist Church... God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. And it's unique to us. In fact, the only common denominator that we share with the other churches around us, our sister churches all around us, is this. 
We all have a desire to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But the path that he's put us on to see people come to that faith may be uniquely different than than the churches just around the corner from us. But either way, we've got to focus on the task that God has given to us. Then we get down to verse 11 through 16, and here we we see Nehemiah taking action. He goes on a secret recon mission. Now, I think this is the coolest thing in the world because Nehemiah doesn't go through in a day. He's not looking to brag about himself and all the wonderful things that he does. No, he goes, he goes out at night when everybody's asleep and he's on a secret recon mission. I imagine if it were made into a movie, it'd be like a Mission Impossible theme happening behind him. And He's going out and he's seeing the work that needs to be done and he indicates through this passage that he understands the will of God and that he is doing what the Lord has willed him to do. But then you get down to verse 16, and this is what Nehemiah says. He says, the rest who were here, the Israelites, those who are here are the ones who will do the work. You see, Nehemiah knows that the task at hand, the task that God has given him, is one that he is going to need the people of God to accomplish the work. And so then we see in verse 17 and 18, Nehemiah calls his brothers and sisters together to work for the glory of God. In fact, Nehemiah says in verse 18, the hand of my God has been upon me. So you see, when Nehemiah makes the ask to his Israelite brothers and sisters, he is saying that the power of God has come upon him. He has already seen that through his prayers, through his preparation, through the ask that he made to the king, he has seen God's hand all over the work. And so once he shares this with the men of Israel, they say to him, let us rise up and rebuild. In other words, they say this, Nehemiah, we are all in. We are all in with you for the glory of God. When was the last time as a church we looked at one another and said, we are all in. You know, it's kind of like what we talked about last Sunday night, if you weren't here. We talked about as a church how we are called to be together as one. And we shared uh, the story of Jonathan and his shield bearer and how Jonathan, in the midst of a battle that there was no way he was going to win, in the midst of this fight that he didn't stand a chance at accomplishing victory whatsoever, he said to his shield bearer, we are going to march down this mountain and we are going to attack the Philistines. And then his shield bearer looked at him and said, do what it is that is in your heart. Do what it is that is in your head and know that I am with you heart, and soul. You see, when was the last time, like the Israelites with Nehemiah, when was the last time we looked at what we were facing and we locked arms and said, I am with you. I am with you. And together we will accomplish this task. We get to verse 19 and 20. And here we see two men rise up against the nation of Israel. They hurl insults and accusations toward Nehemiah. They accuse them of being against the will of king. But notice what Nehemiah says. He responds by saying that regardless of what they say, they will still rise and build because the enemy has no hold over Jerusalem. You see, here at Southside, like Nehemiah, We need to acknowledge 
that there is a greater leader in our life. There is one who can deliver us from danger. There is one who is calling us to rise and rebuild this place. There is one who calls for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. And his name is Jesus. Just as Nehemiah overcomes the slander and the insults, and then what we're going to get into in later texts, so too do we need to be overcomers because it is Jesus who makes all things right. It is Jesus who is the victor. And it is in Jesus Christ that we have victory. You see, no one ever said the work of a church would be easy. No one ever said the work of rebuilding a people would be easy. But this is God's house. And we are God's people. And we have been called to rise up and rebuild. And so when people see us, when they see our marriages, do they see gospel marriages when they see us and they see our families do they marvel at our behavior or the behavior of our children when they see us as a faith family and as a church do they see workers do they see a sacrificial love and hope that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord do they see what Jesus can will and has done in the life of our people You see, that's what Nehemiah was calling for. Not just a building and rebuilding of structures, but a building and rebuilding of the heart. What do people see when they see us? It's at this point we have to go back and look at verse 18. Verse 18 where it says, Of the people of Israel, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. For us today, this, this, this passage applies to us. What work could be or is better than the work of the gospel? What work could be greater than telling and sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ? How are we taking action to share the gospel both in this place but also in our community? How are we taking action to live the gospel? How are we taking action in order to rebuild for the gospel? You see, once upon a time in the United States, as Christians, we lived in a culture that truthfully, on the surface level, respected our beliefs. They valued our beliefs. But now more than ever, faithfulness to God and faithfulness to Christ is seen as rebellion against popular opinion. Faithfulness to God and faithfulness to Christ is seen as rebellion, not only against popular opinion, but rebellion against our authorities. But Christians in the room take heart. You see, we have a promise in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, that tells us this. We have the word of God. We have the word. And because of this word, we will prosper. In other words, we will be victorious in the end because Jesus has been victorious every day since the beginning. As believers when looking at the work that needs to be done, when looking at the rebuild that needs to happen, 
We have nothing to fear but God himself. In fact, it was Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He said, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You see, the reality is this. Fear is man-made. We have nothing to fear but our creator. And when we speak of fear of God, it is a healthy wonder and awe of who he is. So believers in Christ, like Nehemiah, may we be bold. May we realize that it is time for action. Through preparation and follow through, may we be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. Southside Baptist Church, Christians. May we be a bold church. It's time to take action. It's time to rebuild. Let's pray together.